1: Get your holiday starbucks cut man
0: come on dude it's november i feel like in the culture that we live in today they start handing out christmas cups in august
1: oh yeah i feel like you could probably buy us like a blow up like snow globe for your front yard at costco in july i don't know if yeah. that's true i just i feel like that's a thing
0: i think the future the future is going to be um uh, it's just Christmas lights year round. So, like, the rednecks will prevail <laughs> in the end. The, the people who are like, you know what? That was a lot of hassle, man, putting them lights up. I think I'm just going to leave them up year round. I'm going to say it's something you used to laugh at, but now it's like, uh, why not, dude? Costco's got Christmas lights now year round. I feel like it's still a
1: rule that you can't you know, no Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving. And I, I, I felt like that was a well-established fact Mm -hmm. and I'm losing that battle in my house, man. I'm just going to let you know.
0: I lost it this year. We've been married, what, 20, 23 years. So that's a lot of Christmases together. And every one of them was, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, we would, you know, start decorating, man, get the tree. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And uh, you take it all down, you know, uh, New Year's Day this year. Krista was like, no, nope, it's November. I love Christmas. So here we go. I've already watched home alone and elf. <laughs> oh man. So I already got, I already got eggnog going.
1: <laughs> so that's interesting because if you're like, all right, here's the rule. But then like, once the rule was removed, lo and behold, your inner kid at Christmas came out and you're like, well. If it's no holds barred, then I'm just going to watch Elf and Home Alone and drink eggnog on November 5th.
0: Let's do this. Let's do this. (laughs) And, you know, it helps having a a little one in the house who who gets it, you know, the excitement Christmas. You know, he's four, my youngest. Yeah. Yeah. So yesterday we already he was like he found this string of lights in a box and he's like, can I can I do these in my room? Yeah. I'm like, uh, sure. So we decorated his bed with Christmas lights, man. And he, uh, he didn't want to leave his room. He, he's so excited about it.
1: That's awesome, man. All right, So jumping in today, as we were talking during the week, a lot of people have dug part one and part two. It seems to be pretty encouraging to them, but we felt like a part three was necessary. And to get you on here and to get you speaking on this, I have exhausted most of what I have to say, um, thinking that I'm not going to say anything in this podcast is pretty foolish. That's probably going to happen. Really, we just kind of wanted to do a part three to get you on here just to share your story and some of your thoughts on this whole phenomena, and uh, we would be amiss if we didn't allow you to speak into this, man. Yeah, so, um, with with that said, Russ. Man, kick it off with your story. Bring us into your whole experience and your journey with deconstruction and this whole phenomena that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it, it just listening to part one and part two of the podcast, um, which I thought you guys did a great job with, and just taking a, a variety of of looks at this at this very much like nationwide, even you could even say global wide in a lot of ways, conversation. That's very popular right now. Listening to that and thinking of it like through my own story, I was able to, like a big aha for me. It was something that that you had shared, Tony, of just understanding that, yeah, deconstruction does not all, right, start at the same point. It does not all, right, across the board come with the same desired end, all right? So it's not all created equal. Um, It can be something that's very good and life-giving. It can also be something that's very dangerous and life-sucking. Depending on right how you approach this, and when I think about it through the lens of how you brought it up as like man, at the core, it's a it's a journey of repentance, right? We see this in Jesus's ministry; he's bringing, and even Jameson said everybody in that culture at that time had this idea of what God is like, and they had this idea of what life should look like if we followed Him, and Jesus shows up and starts really unpacking from both teaching and, and just lifestyle. And of course, stories that he's telling like, Hey, you've actually got it pretty wrong in regards to what God's really like and what he's doing in the world and what he's invited you into. And so his call is to repent, right? To change your mind about what you have thought or what you've been handed and start instead believing what's actually true. What's actual reality. Um, it's a process of disillusionment, Right which we've talked about on the podcast before being disillusioned is not bad because it means that you're moving away from an illusion, right? So you can call it a journey of disillusionment. You can call it a journey of repentance, right? You can call it the new popular word deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's the kicker. I found that, but I feel like that's only true if you're moving away from an illusion to what is, to what is reality if you're moving from one illusion to another illusion, then that wouldn't be the repentance that Jesus is talking about. Yeah. Right. And I do see definite, a definite vein of deconstruction where people are moving from one illusion to another illusion for a variety of reasons, most of which seem to deal with a desire for status, some form of status with some camp, right. Has promised security and significance to people. And so they're moving from one illusion. They were handed to another illusion. And some people are actually moving from what is true to an illusion, right? Yeah. For that very same reason, for that's for that very same desire for status. So I bring all that up to say, I I would call that
1: destruction, not deconstruction.
0: (laughs) That's like, that's a, that's a that's a good way to put it. And, um, I started looking at that through my own story over the years, and I can see where I've fallen prey to all of those, Mm. right, in one way or another. But I feel like word deconstruction has been good and helpful, repentance, you could call it. I can remember, like, becoming a believer as an adult, plugging into the church world. I didn't have all the baggage that a lot of people had in church leadership who were Mm. hanging on to these, like, traditions, and this is how you do it because it's how grandma said to do it sort of thing. Um, or how my Bishop said, we have to do it for me. It was mm-hmm. always like, yeah, dude, I don't see that in scriptures. I think we're free from that. And it was just a very simple thing, but here's the thing. I got pulled into that world just like anybody else would because we're social creatures. So we we often conform to the social structures that are in front of us again for, for status, man, for belonging, mm-hmm. essentially. And so I went right into that world, like hook, hook, you know, hook, line and sinker, bro. My yeah. first year in Bible college, I was so petrified of being worldly. I started wearing black pants and a white button up shirt. I literally looked like a Mormon dude going to school. <laughs> I was afraid. Were you riding a bike? I wasn't riding a bike. I was, I was driving a vehicle, but, but I had to make sure it was a plane vehicle. Couldn't be anything fancy. Couldn't be, couldn't be anything nice either. Yeah. Right like, I mean, all the way to that point. I mean, I went from like a hellion in Ybor City to dressing like a Mormon my first year in Bible college as an adult. Yeah. Because this is what you need to do and what, what you need to look like, etc. And I had a professor that helped me really start grabbing on to some things in regards to what the church is and what it's not, that started allowing me to, to, to let go, in a sense, of, of a lot of these like just lies man right about uh how the how the church really could not be anything like the world we couldn't look like it we couldn't dress like it we couldn't listen to what it was listening to we couldn't watch what it was watching you know all and of course and then the church was designed to help everybody do the same that's what it actually meant to reach people was to see them conformed to these images right so this professor um Dr. Corn was his name. He he helped me start really rethinking that, man. And it created some serious waves in the church where I was, that I started leading in, where I became a youth pastor at. Hmm. And once I started just relaxing on some of these things and hanging with kids and really just meeting them where they're at and discipling them, and they're all coming to faith and they're showing up, right? Looking nothing like all the church members that were present. I was pushed into this camp that would now be called a deconstructionist. Well, that leads to probably it was called scriptures. backsliding back then. Yeah. Backsliding worldly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Probably some other phrases you could throw in there, but that was the first shift for me. I guess you could say the first, mm-hmm. like in the faith shifting from these ideas and beliefs and practices that I was handed and I grabbed onto with everything I had. And dying to these things, as I was finding that the scriptures and what God was saying to us in them was not this. Yeah. And so despite the pushback, I was free to let this go to trade this, okay, for what Jesus actually said. Hmm. So I start moving into that. Well, I wind up planting a church and By this time, dude, I'm trained up in the North Point, Annie Stanley, you know, Annie Stanley strategy, man, like, you know, you invest and invite your friends. We're going to take care of everything here. We're going to create the most killer church environments you've ever imagined. And I plant this church, man, and things take off and it grows really fast. And we're thinking like, dude, watch out. Here we go. Hundreds
1: came, thousands
0: were saved. It's very true. It's very true. We, we had 350 there on a Sunday in no time, but. But um, but we counted like 900 because dude, there's people walking by the building outside. Yeah, and there's you know people I mean? that
1: would it would have came if there's they didn't have. came. Various yeah. things going on. Yeah, you know how that. Got to love works. church
0: math, dude. It's it's the best. It's. The I best. remember
1: sitting in staff meetings sometimes we're looking at numbers because that's like the first thing that we would do. Big teams sitting around, twelve people, like looking at numbers, like hmm, and, and like, and. Like the lead dude and like the executive guy are thinking of all the different ways we can add 10 here and 20 there. Oh, it's actually more, it's
0: this, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I know we had a thousand, but
1: didn't we hear if yeah, so and so small group was doing a marriage retreat? Yeah, how many are in I that feel 15? Yeah, add 15 to that. I feel like it's more like
0: 3,000, you know, just <laughs> as I'm counting here. And uh, but yeah, we plant this thing and it moves forward. And this is another season, man. This is, this is 2005. Things are going really well. 2006, I get connected with some dudes who are involved in like the multiplication missional ministry, which at the time, there was no name for it. And a guy named Dr. Dwight Smith that came back from the, from the Ukraine and was doing this small training with a handful of people and helping them rethink ministry in regards to seeing good news in the hands of everyday people. The church, right, like going 24-7 in a sense, and not being built all around Sunday and you and your, you know, your platform. Well, dude, that, that made war against everything that I was just trained in and did and was getting all these accolades for. It was the total opposite. And I remember like just arguing with some of these dudes over it. But the more I kept looking at what they were saying in light of what was actually in the scriptures about the church and how the church grew and how it moved and how this movement of the church went on to see, you know, 65% of the Roman Empire saying yes to Jesus in less than 300 years. And all of this with no seminaries, no Bible studies, because by the way, there's no copy of the scriptures floating around. Right. No sermons, no stages, no Sunday services that are public and open to everybody to come. Like all these things that I had built everything around doing and doing well. Or that we felt was so necessary to. Respond. Right. But had to be there to be faithful. Right. And my or first, to be effective. Yeah. My first like shift was like this shift from how you could dress and how you could interact and what you could listen to and what you could watch and, you know, how you could go about like, you know, actually relating to people. That was like the first shift. Well, this next shift was like, oh my God, everything that I was told legitimizes our church and legitimizes our success is now at odds with what I'm actually seeing in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And they weren't saying that all these things I was grabbing onto were sinful or wrong or you're somehow evil for, for running in them. They were just saying, A, they're not, stop holding them up as biblical and needed. And stop saying that you're super effective because yeah, Russ, you might've baptized 50 people over the last month, but how many people came, right. Who were just looking for a better church than the one down the street. Right. And then you start looking at like the numbers and the growth and the charts. And you're like, "Ah, I mean, we're reaching people, but are we really like getting after like, you know, as they would say, like the lost. Yeah. So major shift goes into play, dude. And that went on in that church for a few years until I wound up going, well, dude, here I am five years later in New York city and I'm hanging with Tim Keller. And I'm basically learning that if I don't get to a major city, I'm probably not even a Christian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Us suburban so, Christians. We're just, we're just the yeah. worst.
0: And I say that as a joke, because he definitely did not say that, but that's kind of the take that people, you know what I mean? Could, could perceive totally. from his, his, he does a great job of expounding on where movements happen and the importance of major cities and cultural influence. And he's a, you know, he's a, he's a brilliant dude and, and a very kind. For the record, I would man. have
1: moved to a major city if my wife trusted God more. I just want to just put that out there. <laughs> I, I was going to, I just going to say that yeah. uh, if my wife had, if my wife had more faith, I would, I would have, I would have moved right. to a major city. I just, I just need that to be spoken on record.
0: I hear, and here I am, uh, 12 years later and going, maybe she's the one that actually had the faith to just <laughs> settle in on the ordinary life where you, that you had instead of having to pull up roots to go to a, she, major definitely, city. Didn't
1: have, she definitely didn't have the pressure to, you
0: know, become yeah. the person that moved to a major city, the church plant. Yeah. So we we did, man, we, we packed up, we moved to Chicago, you know, we jumped in started sort of seeing a number of really neat things happen in regards to missional communities and them growing and multiplying right throughout neighborhoods in the city. And, you know, on one hand, you could say we saw a lot of fruit in the area of like ministry success, but what I kept finding in that process is there's still a breakdown in regards to what we actually think about what God is like. what Jesus said he came to do and accomplish that's kind of still that has resulted in this belief system that I was holding on to along with other leaders that I knew throughout the city that never could really release people to just go be the church where they are in the everyday through friendship and shared meals on one hand we would free it up but we still had to have everybody come back to this place on Sunday where we could count you And you would be underneath the oversight of these leaders for this thing to really matter and for it to really do what God's after. And I kept just saying this breakdown, I guess you could say in like medium, like the medium of church, right? Like, and how we go about things, but ultimately underneath that was more of just, there was a disconnect man. And what I feel like we actually believed about God. And so once again, dude, here comes another like major shift in my journey where I'm looking at what we're doing. And although you could point to success in it, I'm still looking over here in the scriptures and going, I feel like the two of these things are still at odds. And so I just began really studying and looking into the scriptures and just in a sense, like trying to let Jesus's words just speak for themselves, Versus what I wanted them to say or what I was told they're supposed to say. And we didn't have a word for it. We didn't call it deconstruction, but that's what it was. There was a tearing down of some things that I was holding on to and grabbing onto some things that I had missed. What Jesus would call repentance. Can you share some
1: specifics? Like what were, what were some of the.
0: Um, Even though I was very much for the multiplication of disciples, through everyday people. That would be like a popular phrase at that time. I still was holding on to this idea that there's this thing called the local church. There has to be a senior pastor. There has to be some form of a gathering that we all come to, that we all give to. There has to be some form of worship, like singing that goes on, you know, that we're we're connected to. Um, If you didn't have these pieces in place, the ongoing like weekly sermon teaching piece still had to be there. So although I had went from this very like leader centric church to like trying to empower people to go, I still have this belief that for it to count as church, everybody has to come back to something where they can point to leaders who know them that are responsible for them. Okay. And those leaders can point to those people. If you don't have that and you don't have like an intentional mission and some form of gathering of worship and and teaching, right? Well, then like this this doesn't count as church, man.
1: Well, and then even go beyond that, there was a big push for like membership and to bring meaning back to membership um, or partnerships or covenants or, you know, whatever. And so they would just, you know, people back then were, they were rewriting, you know, membership covenants and what this means and making people like resign them and like holding people accountable oh, yeah. to you. what it means to be like a real member of a church not just someone who like shows up for connection for friendship and to hear good news about jesus no it was like this was this is a commitment here that you were yeah. you were making there was a big push for that
0: yeah, in fact, we had put together our first membership covenant in Chicago for the church I was leading in. Um, we had we had put that together, and right about the time that it came to sign it, I actually didn't sign it. You know, as a pastor elder of this, which you know I resigned just within like six weeks after that. But um, it was I was kind of going through this study right around that same time that we were crafting it. But by the time I got to the end of my study. I found myself going, yeah, I feel like that covenant that Jesus issued, the new one, um, because none of us could keep the covenants that we all promised to keep suffices. <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like what Jesus did is enough. Um, so to force people into signing something that they can't right? That that God hasn't called them to sign. I was like, no, no, this, this, this isn't it. And at the same time, I'm really wrestling with just our whole understanding of, of church as like local church, instead of the church being a word that God has given to people. As in the church in the scriptures was people. It's an identity. It's who you are as someone who said, Jesus is my only hope. And I started like looking at like, okay, church is identity, ministry by definition in scriptures, man, it, it's friendship, dude. Like if Jesus handed us anything, right? It's the way of friendship. It's not all these courses that we're putting together here. Like, you know, it's like some learning in classes can be helpful. I feel like on the front end and seeing something, but, sure. but this, you know, the, the 52 week, uh, you know what I mean? A year diet on that for the rest of your days, just, it wasn't clicking. Yeah. With and I, to I would, five
1: application steps per message.
0: Yeah. I'm just, I'm looking at this thing and going, man, the church was a, just a ragtag movement of people. It was who they were. These churches that we're pointing to, like in the scriptures, like, man, they didn't, they didn't have the names that we give them. They didn't have the structure that we give them. They didn't have buildings. It, these aren't seminary trained leaders. They don't have a, you know, a diet of sermons. They're not doing public services. If anything, they're all on the ground because they're persecuted. And I'm looking at this saying, and all the way down to dude, like Contrary to popular belief, the whole idea of like elders, pastors have to be in place day one for this thing to count as a church dude. these new church expressions forming in the New Testament. They're one to two years old and growing throughout a city before Paul ever sends Timothy and Titus into these places to appoint what we call elders, overseers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when he does appoint them, they're just servants. He literally shows up and says, find the people who are serving the people and say, hey, guys, love what the spirit's doing through you. Keep serving. <laughs> right. And we just take all this and turn it into this like crazy institutional structure to help turn the church into something it's not, Mm. which inevitably results in the whole reason why so many people are pointing their fingers and saying, yeah, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I don't want to go there. Instead of just letting it be as real and raw as it is, which is just broken people who are not trying to pretend to be anything they're not. Instead, they're just going around and declaring, yeah, I am broken just like you. Let me tell you about the one who makes us whole, though. Yeah. And I'm, I'm starting to empower some people in Chicago to go do that outside of the Sunday norm. And dude, those communities were reaching far more people outside the faith than the other 50 we had within the church body. And it's just because they had the freedom, man, to just go step in the way of friendship and meet people where they were. They didn't have a brand to build. They didn't have a service. They had to get everybody to come to for this thing to count. They didn't have like this thing they needed to protect. Instead, they just got to be friends and share good news and watch Jesus do what he does, man. Yeah. And I was seeing that in the scriptures, but again, church structures, man, that need to be able to count nickels and noses on Sunday. We, we don't, we don't like that. So despite the fact that it was in the Bible and it was super effective, if you want to say that, like in regards, to actually, being able to, like meet your neighbors. They um do people would wrestle with it. And so that all led to starting what's called, what was called table network, the prequel to, you know, to Lark. And dude, I got labeled a deconstructionist by, by a, a variety of church leaders, man, because I had started yep. a ministry that was designed to empower people to go carry the good news of Jesus to others, through the simplicity of, friendship and shared meals. Dude, if I just said that to you right there, just that line, anyone really familiar with Jesus's story and ministry would look at that and go, Oh yeah, dude, that looks exactly like what Jesus did. But because that's not the popular norm and you, and you go walk in that instead you get told, Oh, you must be a deconstructionist. And in a lot of ways I was like you,
1: I Grew up in the church, but I didn't really want anything to do with it. And then later on, actually meeting Jesus, like Mm -hmm. understanding or being awakened to his forgiveness and his love in light of the mess of a life that I had created for myself in my independence. Um, And it was one of rebellion. Other people do that in a sense of self-righteousness. I pursued it in a rebellious way. So there was my experience with Jesus actually meeting him. But then it was like, oh, well, no, part of this deal is like this thing called the church. And the mm. version of that that was handed me was this Western right expression of this thing, building Sunday, all the programs and pathways. And I remember just like sitting, I love talking about the scriptures. I love diving into, you know, the words of Jesus, the New Testament, the Old Testament. I love learning all of that. And all of a sudden, I'm at these like, this church service like singing these like really just dumb songs because at the time I was into like metal and hardcore and punk and hip-hop and I'm I'm here singing these like Chris Tomlin songs or whatever it was really? Michael W. Smith or whatever and I was like dude I'm not connected with this at all and I remember sharing that with like some leaders like hey dude like I I hate this and they're like well you know man like you know this is this is maturity like worship is you know, you'll, you're, you're a new Christian, Tony, you know, and you're, as you get mature, you'll, you'll eventually learn to really like these really bad songs. um, Learning to love
0: what you hate is maturity.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I remember it was framed to me. I was, I was really struggling assimilating to, to that culture, but because it was framed of, well, Hey man, like, you know it's pretty, pretty selfish and pretty rebellious to buck against the church. This is God's design plan for you to grow um, and all that. You know, and it, it was all just that expression of it packaged into no. This is the truth about it, and we can't deviate from it at all. Hmm. And so it's all about what are those immovable have tos and musts or marks in the. Chicago conversation. And in the conversation today of like what counts as church in a lot of ways, it's very much like the, what pants you're wearing is your shirt tucked in? Are you drinking alcohol? What are you watching, listening to the legalism of that is not removed, you know, from over here. So it's all about like what you think it is, what was handed to you, you go to find justification of it in the scriptures. And then all of a sudden it's a thing that you can never move away from
0: right and i think what people i would just encourage anybody listening to this to just embrace is it's okay to take anything and everything that we're all clinging to and go hold it up in view of what jesus has actually said and if you find that what jesus really said is not what you're clinging to well guess what you're free to let go of that you're you're free to drop it off you're free to throw it away. Um, You're free to repent, as you you know, if you want to bring a biblical word into it, or if you want to bring a new modern popular word, you're free to deconstruct that idea, that belief, and grab on to instead, what's actually been said. So, and I think, you know, your point, man, about like the immovable things, that's, that's, I think that's how we deal with those. And here's the key, man, it's like, you don't have to forever do this. Like you can't get to a point. I feel like in our journey where we go, yeah, dude, this is actually what he said. It's immovable. And if I have a desire to remove this. Okay. Yeah. Well, guess what? That desire and that journey that would be con- in some camps is called a good and beautiful deconstruction. I would say, isn't deconstruction. It's destruction you're destroying something that's good then, right? There comes a point where either we align ourselves to what is true or we, we don't. And we just live into the myth that, that this thing isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, but if what you're doing is, is a, is a deconstructing a, you know, of things that, that you were handed that aren't good, and that aren't from, from what Jesus has said, and you're in, and so doing repenting of these things and choosing instead to trust in what he did say and go walk in that Well, Amen. you just have to know that people around you all have immovable objects, as you said, okay, they've all grabbed onto these things that they don't want to budge on right now. And you just have to know that you could lose your normalcy with them. You could yep. get labeled a deconstructionist and you're, they're using that term in a, in a negative sense. Yeah, like the two camps that I've ran in here recently, I'll just say this. We can get in this in another podcast, but the two things I found is both of them have like immovable objects that they're grabbing onto my conservative friends and my liberal friends. And they're both willing to and very eager to deconstruct the others, right? Immovable objects. But oftentimes both really wrestle to look at the things that they've grabbed onto as immovable objects in light of what Jesus has really said. And I think that's kind of where the beauty is. So for me, like a a deconstruction that went on when I first became a believer on a freight dock to the deconstruction in the first church I led in to the deconstruction that happened in the church that I planted to the deconstruction that led into a church that I, that I multiplied in Chicago through communities to the deconstruction that led from that into the starting of table network. And dude, if I'm just being honest, even the deconstruction that led from renaming table network, Lark, yep, that was a deconstruction process, man. Mm-hmm. That was me and you looking at years of trying to help people grab onto a simple way of being the church that looked like what Jesus actually did. And even though we would show them that in the scriptures time and time again, and even offer practical insights and in how to run in that there was still this thing in them for a lot of people that would go back to that yoke of slavery, like the Galatian church did that Paul writes about that would go back to this other way because they started losing their normalcy or the belonging or the status that they thought they would achieve right by doing this. Or it's there was a no dollars in that model. Yeah. Or there's no dollars in that model. That was another one. And what we found in that process is we have to go deeper with people, mm-hmm. which is why reclaim one through five is what it is in S- chapter six through nine or what they are. Right. There's a reason why chapter six through nine are not chapters one through five, because there's a foundation man that really has to be shaken up in light of what most of us were handed in the name of God and church. Right. Because the thing that really frees you to go be the church in and among people the way Jesus was is the life of faith that comes from trusting in what Jesus really accomplished. Yep. And if you don't have that foundation, man, in the message of it is finished all, all this reconciliation that we're all out trying to achieve, that we're all killing ourselves over, we're exhausted and divided over. Right? Yeah. According to the scriptures, That's already been done by someone else single-handedly on a cross. Yep. If you don't grab that, then you have no choice but to try to achieve yours and others' reconciliation. Think about all the ugly that goes on in the name of church and politics and social causes, all aimed at changing the world, that all stem from the unwillingness to take Jesus at his word. Mm -hmm. and trust that the people we're trying to reconcile have already been reconciled. What we're doing is proclaiming the freedom that they already have. So they can begin to walk in that. It's called a life of trust, not trying, not toil, trust, a life of faith, seeing that and just seeing the immense need for that message to be the front and center and the core of everything and all the aspects of life that flow in and from it was was a deconstruction process man it was going dude everything we thought was so needed in the name of ministry is actually secondary mm-hmm. everything we're trying to equip in the name of ministry is actually a fruit it's not the root it's the fruit we're trying to equip the fruit you can't equip fruit yeah we need to we 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 have to rethink what we're doing in light of what Jesus actually spent his time doing we got to start saying what Jesus was really saying If people were ever going to find the freedom to go do what it is that we're inviting them to go do in the name of Jesus, dude, that's a deconstruction process that took place for us just two years ago.
1: Right. And it lasted a year. And at the core of it was really, truly going all in on the reconciliation of all things and the goodness of this good news. And so here's a way that this is, um, kind of like come to me in a fresh way by looking at Hebrews 10 and everyone goes to Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, don't neglect the gathering together. I've heard that so many different times as I've tried to tell the story that we've been telling for the last, you know, six years Mm -hmm. and don't neglect the gathering, don't neglect the gathering, that passage, that call to not neglect the gathering um, is spoken to people who are going through deconstruction. They're they're moving away from the temple, they're moving mm. away from the ceremony, they're moving away from first uh, for, uh, an expression of first century um, Judaism. Yes, sacrifices, um, yep. calendar dates, festivals, uh, priests, um, yep. all, all, all offerings, right, and a whole it, religious imagine, system. Yeah. Imagine some people think like, Oh, like Jesus showed up and was like, Hey guys, I don't think we need this temple anymore. Like it costs a lot of money. It's administratively bulky. Um, (laughs) you know, it, you know, (laughs) like You know, it takes a long time to build these, you know, things called synagogues and temples and all that. Like, like let's just do, let's just do shared meals. I think we can be like more effective with it. We could probably reach a lot more people. You know, especially to the Gentiles, they need to be included. They think we should worship over on this mountain instead of this temple over here. So, man, if we just remove all of it and just go to tables, we could probably be more effective. Make room for more people. We can get to see a lot more movement. Yep. It's like, dude. And that's why I love Hebrews 10. If you go look at it, here's a, here's a people who are so ingrained in thinking how they, how they relate and connect to God is through temple sacrifice, a religious system to now they're being told about a new and living way through the, through the body of Jesus Mm -hmm. that he offered a single sacrifice for sins for all time that we don't need to keep doing it. That we don't need priests constantly, daily, offering sacrifices for sins, which can never take away sin fully. But Jesus did one act, one single act, and it was sufficient. It was good, so much so that he said, it is finished. And you have all these people who are wrestling with the good news and the truth of Jesus in light of all that. And now they're being lumped into a small community of people who have now said yes to Jesus who are saying, that's the old way. It's never going to get us what we ultimately want, which is freedom, forgiveness, right? This idea of having my, having my sins covered, like locking down in my head and heart that God loves me, you know, that I'm welcome here, that I belong, that I'm included, that I'm, I'm in fellowship with him. It was something mm-hmm. that constantly needed to be maintained. And he's telling them, dude, don't neglect this gathering because comparatively to all the just hoopla of the temple and the grandeur and the, the, the things you can just grab onto and see and taste and touch in that temple. This, this small gathering with people probably seems pretty silly,
0: mm-hmm. probably
1: seems pretty like it, it doesn't compare. You know, it seems, it seems simple. It's almost like, is this enough? Is this one guy dying outside of the city walls on a cross? Is this new and new and living way? So this writer is telling us, is that enough? Is this gathering of people where we're just coming to encourage one another in this reality, in this good news, does this count? And so I just find it hilarious when you see, What's really happening in that Hebrew, in the community to which that uh, writer writes versus how we use it. We evangelicalize it as if the writer Hebrews is like, oh, yeah, in the future, there's going to be this thing called church and church services and attendance and keeping up with membership and doing all these things. Um, You're going to need to, like, maintain all that. So here's a here's a cool proof text for you to be like,
0: yo, show up to church on time and consistently. Dude, you love the insight on that. Um, Love the connection that you're bringing to like what was really going on then versus like the context that we have today that we often use it. But I love just that whole point of like, these were people who were moving out of something that was very near and dear to them. Like their very identity with a false identity to be clear, but they had placed their very identity in their participation in this system and the positions that they take in this system. Yeah. No different than we do with with politics now or our sports teams or our work or right or the gym or the kitchen like everything right now basically is a religion.
1: <laughs> I mean that we're all pursuing. I'll add one more caveat hold your thought the one of the reasons why it's probably even more difficult is cuz that was a thing prescribed by God. Right? He, you know what I'm saying? Like he introduced this idea of sacrifice whereas like our thing is more of just a cultural expression of what this thing has become. For them, they're 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 going back to actual verses, right. like in, in the in Moses yeah, writing to
0: the things God really <laughs> yeah. said,
1: and then and now gave. God in the flesh is showing up, like, "Yo, no, it's actually me in this new and living way."
0: Yeah, yeah. So you've got Jesus coming along and saying all those things were were of me, yes, but they were all pointing you pointing to, to me, me, yep. and what it is that I'm about to bring about in and through my death and resurrection for the whole world. Right. And people were grabbing onto that and running in the freedom of that and the way of friendship. But I would agree with you that there were people who were hearing that and going, ah, right. Like they, these, they were immovable objects that they were unwilling to deconstruct. Yep. And I feel like right there, if you've got Jesus saying how, you know, Jesus is pointing to something in this, that and that's the freedom to go, hey, I'm allowed to take a look at this immovable object that I've grabbed onto. Despite what I think, despite what anyone else thinks. Jesus has said this. If that is the deconstruction process for us that, you know, that we go through throughout our journey of faith on this side of heaven. Amen. And I feel like we're all going to be constantly learning and seeing things that we didn't see and grabbing onto them and hopefully by faith, right? Begin to walk in them. It can be a good and beautiful journey of repentance, disillusionment, deconstruction, if you want to call it that. Um, But you can also easily turn this into something that's, that's uh, destructive Mm. and call it deconstruction, call it repentance. Call it a awakening to this. You can call it, you know, whatever, but it's not. I think the the litmus test for all of us is what did Jesus say, and if if the pursuit of that is the journey in front of us and learning to walk by faith in that, dude, Amen.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm sure we all have some things that are right that are in front of us, and if it's yeah, not, I, I
1: think. Well, think about the things that. I've been so life-giving to, to you and I are the things that we've shared on this podcast. This is episode 31. If you want to find out like why we're still in this whole deal, yeah. go listen to the previous 30 episodes. As we mm-hmm. dive into the parables of Jesus, as we dive into the, the ferocious grace of God towards the world. And as we just, man, jumped into the thought, the idea that maybe this good news is even better than we thought. Maybe we can get lost in the joy and the wonder of this mystery and keep being surprised by it and like amazed by it. These are the things. These are the things that have kept me going. I feel like if it was still... Sundays and membership covenants and programs to like fix people. And a pastor is this person who keeps people accountable and you know is really active in other people's progress and sanctification and all this other stuff. Dude, the reality was already there for me. I I'm not even keeping up with the things I'm laying on people mm-hmm. from this stage and in these messages and in these talks. I'm inviting people to do things that I don't even do. That I don't even measure up to, but you just, you get, you get caught in the lull and the illusion that you are, cause you talk about it or because you oh, are yeah. some, some leader or whatever. And I've watched people walk away from Jesus altogether um, because Jesus got attached to all this really a theology of, of glory, a theology of aspiration, a theology of, yeah. of getting together. A theology of yep. make your way up to god make yourself better and even yep. though we talked about
0: a lot about the gospel um man in, in a lot of ways yeah man that's i think that's the the invitation to everybody it's the invitation to the church the the movement of broken people all over the world who have said jesus or bust that's the church by definition i think that's our invitation man is to let Jesus' words be what they are. To let them be as, as, as scandalous as they are. As like earth shaking as they are. Let them, let them become something that really does produce that dependence that we were created to live in. Right? Like let it lead there. Let it lead to dependency. Let it lead to transparency and vulnerability. Honesty with your friends. Let it lead to hospitality as the Lord, right? Speaks in and to us. You know, amen for it, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people, man, in the world that are, as you brought up in the podcast recently on on this topic, that have said, like, they punted on the faith. They said no to God because the church didn't do this or the church didn't do that or the church didn't take this stance. Right. And it's like, dude, church is broken, man. (laughs) I mean, Martin Luther literally called it a whore.
1: I think God called it a horror
0: prior in a, a certain Old Testament book. Oh yeah, for sure. Jose and Gomer, man, come on. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: he, he made it pretty clear, like, well, you know like, like you know what we are, but uh and I just feel like we have to stop we have to stop evaluating who, what God is like in determining what He said because of what other broken people did or didn't do for us, mm. or how well we performed in it. Yeah, it's such a and so when point, these things yeah. start to break down, we're like, yeah, man, that's why I deconstruct. I'm not even a believer anymore. And I yeah. hear like these reasonings and I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't believe in that either. Right. Well, well, what about like, you know, like like right now, man, like there's this issue with like, you know, orphans and it's because the church failed. Church didn't church didn't house all the orphans, man. God's not real.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's like I love no, I love. No,
0: that's not how it works, man.
1: I love the assumption that people have about the church um, as they kind of point out various things in culture, as if like, if the church was doing its job, like we would be basically like living in heaven already. Yeah. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more homelessness, no more sin, no more brokenness, no more injustice, no more orphans. Um, Yeah. Just no more crime. It would just be, mm-hmm. man, if we actually got it together, yep. if we actually got it together, we could bring about the world we all want. And you know what? God, you wouldn't even really have to come. You could have no. just stayed in heaven because we got it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, dude, you start to organize the church around all this goodness and make all these things happen. And you remove all this pain, you remove all this suffering, you move all this, remove all this evil in your life, in your communities, and in the world. And before you know it, you have talked yourself out of a lover.
0: Yep. You've talked yourself right out of a lover. Yeah. Yeah. And in the process, buried the reality of who you and everyone around you really is. You became an exceptional liar. And talked yourself out of a lover. That's all we did. We became the best fakes society could produce. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a God who's looking at the mess and the mire and the muck in our own deep dark secrets, right? That we that we hide in our, you know, what I'm saying, in our own minds. And then of course, even some of those that we flesh out, you know, with our hands and our feet. And still says, I'm crazy about you. And there's a journey of trust that I've invited you into. You needed forgiveness, not formation. Let's start there. Hmm. Right. And just so we're clear, and let's stay there. You're never not going to need forgiveness. Not being a sinner is something you are never going to do on this side of heaven. Yeah. And that, unfortunately, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, how, how many people have walked away from a version or an expression of Christianity that, that said, Hey, come do all these things so you can not be a sinner anymore. Yeah. And to then which case like, I'm well, like, Jesus doesn't work. Jesus doesn't work. I was right. promised all the stuff in his name, all these verses, all these things from the word of God were attached to all these things. God must not be real. Or if he is, he doesn't care or, or see, I'm not doing it right. And
0: you know what? Done. I'm gone. I'm out. And see, I would say to anyone wrestling with that, cause I've been there. I know you've been there. Um, instead of saying that's it, I'm out, I'm done. God's not real. Instead, I would invite you to deconstruct the ideas that you were handed. And start looking at what Jesus has really done and declared in light of them and repent of these old ideas and literally grab on to the reality, to the truth of what Jesus has said. There's another way like deconstruction can be a good and beautiful thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, Hey, these things I were handed didn't work out. So that's it. God's out. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that no, doesn't have to be that. Right. So, yeah, that's good, man. That's all well, I'm glad we did.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we did a part three. Your voice was needed in this, and I'm glad everyone's going to be able to hear this conversation because I think it's a really, really good one. So to everyone who's listening, um, man, if you need a safe place to come and dump and process and just think out loud and yeah. say things that you would be absolutely fearful to say to your parents or your spouse or your friends or your pastor, or, you know, whatever um, we're here. Our community is filled with a lot of people who have gone through and are going through a lot of things that we've just discussed in these last three episodes. So please reach out to us. This is why we create content. This is why we help people dive further into Jesus and say the things that we couldn't say, you know, when we were employed by churches and denominations, Um, so to provide a safe space to process through these things. So, so please stop sitting on, on your wrestlings and uh, reach out. We'd love to, we'd love to meet you.
0: Larksite.com L-A-R-K-S-I-T-E.com Right there at the very bottom of that homepage is a place where you can drop us a line. And we'll reach out. If you just want to text, we'll text. If you just want an email, email back and forth, we'll do that. If you want to get on a call, we'll do that. You want to sit down with somebody face-to-face, we'll even figure that out. Amen. Amen. So until Until next time. time. Cheers. Cheers.